Has anyone ever told you you dream too big, that you have too many ideas, that you need to be realistic? What if there was a career and lifestyle that you could completely design yourself that enables you to do what makes your heart truly sing and helps millions of people benefit from what you have to offer? One that provided you with all the money you need to thrive, not just survive. That is the life of an enlightened entrepreneur. Welcome to the AHA Moments Radio Show, dedicated to the inspiration, education, and celebration of enlightened entrepreneurs worldwide, with your host, Mariana Cooper, founder of AHA Moments, Inc. and AHAMomentsInc.com. Her motto, oh yes, you can have what you want, and you deserve it too. Join us for the next hour and learn to trust your AHA Moments to lead the way to a passionate and purposeful life. And now here's your host, Mari. everybody welcome to the transformation 2012 telesummit tonight's call is actually being pre-recorded because our special guest hazel portney is actually in london and you know what when we do these calls you know seven o'clock our time or eastern time it's like after midnight <laughs> in the uk so we decided to do this nice and early and do a nice uh pre-record so yes um i know you guys are used to being able to ask questions during the call uh, we won't be able to do that tonight for you, but we do have Hazel's blog page. So if you go on the Transformation 2012 website, it'll say, um, so you go to www.thetransformation2012.com, and there's uh, Hazel's page, and it has blog comments down at the bottom. So if you have any questions, go ahead, write them in the blog comment section. We're going to see if we can get Hazel at some point in her busy schedule to look at some of these questions and maybe give you a couple of comments and um, some answers, but I think you're going to find so much uh, in tonight's call and also in her book, Countdown to Coherence. So let's uh, let's say hi to Hazel. Hey, Hazel, how are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you, Mari. How are you? I'm great, and thank you so much for being on our call. This is our fireside chat. I just love the uh, the way that these these calls go, and um, I wanted to get down to your story because, I, you know, I don't start these calls off with a big, long bio and credentials and all that. I want you to kind of unfold um, your story for everybody. So share with everybody just how you got started with this whole scientific theory, journey, experiments, all these things that you've gone and explored and researched. So you have a very poignant story that got you started on the on your path. Okay, well... Share. Uh, uh, my story is um, pretty long, actually, in the sense that um, when I was in my 30s, I um, and my next door neighbor, I was very vacuous, and I thought that the only thing that mattered in life was how much money people had or what clothes they wore, and I really was a very rather horrible person and very superficial. And what happened was my next door neighbor died when I was in my, I think I must have been my late 30s. And after about a week, I thought, well, you know, I really ought to go over and say I'm really sorry for this lady and, and give her my best wishes and all that. And when I went over there, she said she wasn't crying or anything. And I said, you know, you really should shed a few tears. And she said, oh, no. She said, I can hear 
and see my husband any time I like. And I thought, uh-oh, this lady needs some Valium, you know, and quickly and a good <laughs> psychiatrist. So what happened was she explained to me about the spirit world, and there was just something, Mari, a light went on in my head, and she gave me this um, little book. It's called The Little Book of Channeling. Um, it was by a guy called Tony Neat. I don't know if it's still in print, but it's a tiny, tiny book, and I stayed up the whole of that night to read it. And it was like a whole new world opened up before me. Mm -hmm. And then my life went on, and I was very interested in alternative health. And to cut a very, very long story short, about two or three years after I sort of started meditating with my next-door neighbor every week and so on, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and this voice was in my head saying, write, you have to write. And I woke up the next morning and I said to my husband, my ever long-suffering husband, I said, I'm going to become a journalist. And he said, of course you are, my dear. And within, <laughs> within six months, with no qualifications whatsoever, and by this time in my middle 40s, I became the UK's first alternative health agony aunt in one of our national papers called the Daily Mail. And then I went on to become a journalist, a weekly columnist in the Sunday Times, which is like the biggest broadsheet in the UK. And then I was going about my world, you know, I mean, I, I was becoming more and more and more spiritual. And then one day on April the 8th, 1998, I walked into Harrods. It was just before Easter, actually. Um, and I went into Harrods to buy some Easter eggs and various bits and pieces because I had the family coming that weekend. And as I went through the turnstile that used to be there in the bread hall, it was as if this amazing volcanic eruption went off inside my body. Um, I had intense energies pulsing through my body, tremendous pain in my chest and in my head. And within about four or five seconds, I could hear this voice shouting in my head that I knew had not come from me. And it said, see a doctor now. And so I, I made my way outside. Um, I called my driver. I called my doctor. My doctor has known me a very long time. Um, he said, you need to come here right now. I believed in that moment, Mari, that I only had minutes to live. I thought I'd had, the pain was so severe in my chest, I thought I'd had a massive heart attack. So they got me to my doctors, they put me straight on the floor and attached all the heart monitors to me, and they were playing my heartbeat down the phone to a cardiologist while I was giving messages of farewell to my daughter and my husband. It was all very, very intense. And then as all that was going on, I realized in that moment that I was starting to feel what the doctor was thinking in my head. And wow. so when I wow. started saying to him what the cardiologist was saying about my heart, I already knew that my heartbeat was perfect. And so as I started saying all this to Brian, I'm really not sure who was more shocked, whether it was him or me. And I just felt completely different. So the long and short of it is, Brian, my doctor, said, well, obviously something big has happened, but I don't know what it is. Um, and he said, you better go home. He said, I'll call your husband. And he said, go home, go to bed and have a cup of tea, because over here in England, a cup of tea is our answer to absolutely everything. And so I make my way home uh, to our London house. And when I got there, when I looked in the mirror, Mari, I looked much younger. 
my eyes were a completely different color. They were like a sapphire blue. Um, wow. And I, considering the shock I just had, I couldn't quite understand what was going on. And so I got on the bed, and when my husband walked in, obviously he was very concerned, and he said, what on earth's going on? And I started talking in a voice that didn't belong to me, and I said, I am very special, and I'm going to be able to do things that are very special. And like, you know, Stuart's eyes were bulging out of his head, you know, and he thought, what on earth's going on? And it was as if, Murray, whatever question I needed to ask, I automatically received back, dozens of answers but because I didn't know which if any were correct and I kept saying to my husband look into my eyes and you'll know who I am but in that moment I didn't know who the I was anyway um, as the days went on I developed a terrible fever I had this voice in my head and speaking through me I was affecting and being affected by electrical equipment I started producing ash I I was totally telepathic, um, and in what the end, what do you mean by producing ash? What is producing oh, right, well, ash? What, what what happened was, um, as the experience unfolded, ash would appear near me like little small piles of ash, and nobody could figure out like where they were coming from. We just couldn't figure it out. I mean, you're getting the the condensed version here, if you get what yes, I'm, yes. Um, because all of this took place over many weeks and. To begin with, I wasn't being allowed by some force outside of myself to eat any physical food. Um, and I love my food. I'm very thin, but I eat a heck of a lot. And um, in the end, by the Easter Saturday, I knew I was dying. I mean, the shock. Imagine, one day you're a mum, you're a housewife, I'm going around, I've got my column with the Sunday Times. And the next minute, you, I, was, I levitated once. Um, <laughs> Imagine that you have all these unbelievable phenomena happening to and around you, and it completely freaked me out, and not to mention this voice shouting in my head and so on and so forth. Anyway, the point was, in the end, um, over Easter, a doctor friend came to live with us uh, because I knew I couldn't call a normal orthodox medical doctor. I knew that this was something different. And on the Easter Saturday afternoon, I left my physical body and I found myself like floating on the ceiling looking at this like film almost below me. And it took me a while to realize that what was below me was my body, which was racked with fever um, and I I'd lost a huge amount of weight. Um, but anyway, the long and short of it is I came back um, and over many months, um, everything, all of my experiences started to reduce somewhat. Um, and in the end, because I was a journalist, very interested in spiritual matters, I left the Sunday Times and I started on this journey as to finding scientists from around the world who were able to explain to me what I had been through and how I was able, just me, an ordinary person, was able to affect at that time, I can no longer do those things, um, and how I was able to do that. And so, first of all, I'd agreed with Spirit that I would write the true story of what happened to me. And so back in about 2000, that story, it was called Divine Intervention, the book, um, and that was first published. And then I went on to do a second book in the trilogy called The Evidence for the Sixth Sense, 
And finally, I've just written the book that we're talking about today, Countdown to Coherence. But the main thing to get over to your wonderful audience is that what I went through is called a spiritual emergency. And this is when a spiritual awakening becomes a physical crisis, and mine sure became a crisis. And one of the first books uh, that I found was called The Stormy Search for Self. And it was written by an amazing man called Professor Stanislav Groff, G-R-O-F. And it was his wife. Um, Stan has spent nearly 60 years studying altered states. And he realized it's actually our birthright. All of us are capable of miracles. And that you just need to learn how to access this part of yourself um, that is available to every single one of us. But you don't have to go through what I went through to get there. And so that's been my journey. First of all, explaining to, because there's so many people, Mari, in mental homes who, who also perhaps are having spiritual emergencies, maybe hearing voices, um, people having spiritual breakthroughs of, to varying degrees who don't mm -hmm. know what earth is going on. And so it's like my journey has been to know that these things are possible I'm very lucky to be alive and come through and to still be very grounded as I am today, back to my old self. Um, but my, I think my reason for being here is to teach others how to raise their levels of what's known as coherence, brain coherence, so that they can have access to what, people, what many people would term miracles. Wow. Well, you know, this is interesting because... I know that um, the the whole, you know, obviously this whole telesummit is about personal transformation. And we have actually another speaker who went through now, I know what it's called based on what you said, who's gone, um, Jacqueline Joy, who went through a, a spiritual emergency um, as uh, as well to come to this amazing, amazing awakening and start a whole channeling thing. But I don't want people to feel like you have to go through this level of intensity in order to connect with your intuition, with your guides, with your, you know, spiritual self, do you think that there's something, did you ever get from your guides a, a reason why you went through such a dramatic burst forward in your your, your story? In my experience, right. Well, what, what happened to me was I was working about 70-odd hours a week as a columnist. Mm, okay. And so what happened to me was for months before my experience happened, I kept getting all these uh, messages from various friends, mediums, and so on, who said, you'll never believe who wants to work with you in the spirit world. And when they told me, I just used to burst out laughing, basically. Um, and I think that in the end, what happened was, I also went to see an enlightened uh, teacher called Mother Mira in Germany. And mm -hmm. she gives Darshan, you know, the pulsing of the the coherent divine energy through her eyes into other people's. And when I went there in the January, so I had my experience in the April, and her, her mind has said, when you kneel before Mother Mira and she gives you darshan, you must wish for what you want with your whole heart. And so I was asking Mother Mira, Mira for a huge acceleration in my spiritual growth. Whoa. So, you know, I and my experience happened almost three months to the day after that. So we have to be very, number one, we have to be very careful what we wish for. I but was the, just going to say that. <laughs> but when you, um, the point is that people can, 
what can cause spiritual breakthroughs, spiritual emergencies is drugs, which I never took. Um, people, kids who are on cannabis, crack, cocaine, they can have, I have what's known as an intense kundalini awakening, you know, when the energy comes up the spine. Um, and you have access to all that is, all levels of reality. But children and kids and, and teenagers or whatever in their 20s or whoever, if they take a lot of drugs, they are, many of them are having um, kundalini awakenings and they have no idea how to handle it. And when your energy field blows open like that and you are wide open, that's when I, my walk-in came. So the spirit that I've been getting the messages from for months, uh, this person said they wanted to work with me, that was who walked into me at that moment in Harrods. So like there were, for a while, there were two of us in here. And I eventually, I, I eventually went to visit uh, Professor Gary Schwartz, who's um, a professor of psychology at the University of Arizona, and he has done more work than anyone else really in the world on uh, proving that consciousness survives physical death. And when I first told Gary who my walk-in was, he said, I just don't believe you, so I think you're just making this up. But after he read Divine Intervention, he said, look, if you're willing to put your money where your mouth is, get on a plane and come to Arizona and let me test you. And he did, and he was so amazed by what happened in those tests that he actually went on to write the forwards for two of my books and remains a very good friend to this day. So I would say what started my journey was... Um, a, the stress, the stress I was working too hard. B, I was not listening to the messages that I was being given. I was ignoring them. So yeah. therefore, when the body is under huge amounts of stress, the brain chemistry can change. You know, you might be lacking in magnesium or B vitamins or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. C, the spirit world, it was my time to have that experience. And when I asked over Easter why they were doing this to me, they said that I had agreed to go through this uh, before I came into this incarnation. I mean, I thought all oh, this was really far out. You know, when it was happening to me, it totally, mm -hmm. totally freaked me out. But now I can talk about it 10 years later very, if you like, dispassionately. But nevertheless, um, I think it's a combination of things. So drugs can cause these intense awakenings. Um, an enlightened master's intervention can cause people to suddenly awaken uh, to more heightened states, giving birth to a baby, tantric sex. There's all kinds of reasons why people can um, open up too quickly. But if people are prepared to do the spiritual work by meditating more or practicing Qigong or whatever it is, and you awaken, it's known as an area called the thalamus in the center of the brain that's linked to sight, touch, smell, hear, hear, hearing, sorry, and so on. As your brain works in what scientists call a more coherent fashion, as the brain starts to work as one unit, then as your thalamus awakens, you start to see more, hear more, smell more. I mean... I never forget as long as I live, a scientist many months after I had my experience, he said to me, how did the world smell to you, Hazel, when you were in those very heightened states? And I said, it stinks. And he laughed and laughed and laughed because he'd been through something similar. So what I'm saying is if you tune into the space between your thoughts, it's known as the vacuum level of reality, then you can, over time, very gently awaken what people call their sixth sense 
but it's not really a sixth sense per se. It's a huge reawakening and a heightening of the senses that you already have. But you don't realize, Mari, until you're in these heightened states, just how zombie-like most of us are. I felt mm-hmm. like I'd, you know, I felt reborn. People talk yeah. about being born again. And my God, I was reborn. And so, Amazing. you know, I've, I've learned a lot in the last 12 years. So there we are. Well, you know, well, first of all, let me just pause here, everybody. And I want to make you aware of Hazel's book because she's giving you a tremendous amount of information. We're not even halfway through our conversation yet, but I want you to have that point of reference. So it's Countdown to Coherence. That's C-O-H-E-R-E-N-C-E. So Countdown to Coherence. And um, Hazel, what were the other two books that you wrote that you mentioned? Oh, right. Well, it's we... like a trilogy. The first one, which told the story of what happened to me, is called Divine Invention. Okay. And then the second one was The Evidence for the Sixth Sense. And now the new one is Countdown to Coherence. They're all available via Amazon. Okay, perfect. And Hazel, you, um, your last name is spelled C-O-U-R-T-E-N-E-Y. So Hazel right. Courtney. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's Watkins Publishing. So you, you'll, you guys, I know, have seen it all over the blog and the webinar page that you're looking at, all that stuff. But just, you know, I just wanted to make sure you, you know that because this is a book. Um, you know how others talk about you had a, 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 your own spiritual reference library. These are books that you want to make sure you have in them in there because this is this information is timeless. This is the type of information that you know really you'll go back to it ten years from now and you'll read something about in the book and you'll get a whole new nugget of um, you know of information that you didn't pick up before. So it's definitely something you want to include in your library. So all right, so let's let's talk more about this. Um, this awakening process in the in the kind of uh, I don't know layperson's terms, the ones who haven't gone through this emergency level of awakening. Maybe the folks who are listening in who are going through more gentle um, processes. However, however, I think like yours, if yours is the macrocosm of what can happen, I think some of, one of the microcosms of what can happen in spiritual awakening is the dark night of the soul, where we have several categories of our lives kind of in a state of disarray, right? And it's causing us to be brought forward to that, to asking some of the questions that you were, you know, proposing earlier. Um, do you have any, based on the, the scientists that you spoke with and, you know, your travels, do you have any um, opinions or advice on helping people who are really feeling like every category of their life, or, you know, a good half of the categories of their life are in kind of a, state of complete disarray, how to find their own voice again? Right, I think the main thing is, um, okay, I need to take a step back on that and and tell you about the work of a a wonderful, wonderful scientist called Bill Tiller, who has spent 50 years um, answering the question that you just asked me. And Bill has found that there are two distinct levels of reality. Now, this might sound a bit complex, but I will answer your question any minute now. So, first of all, we have in physics, we have what's known as the dense electric atom molecule physical world. That's the world that's you, me, everything that's around us. So, this is known as an electric atom molecule physical world. But what Bill and his team, he was at Stanford for 50 years studying consciousness, has found that there is a second level that's normally invisible to us 
and this is known as the magnetic information wave level and previously us down here have called it the etheric level and it travels faster than the speed of light and is outside of space-time but through meditation through practices like acupuncture and qigong when you create this like what you call a sacred space around you and when you learn to let go of all your everyday thoughts and have the intention to connect with what you might call God, the guiding, organizing designer, um, you can actually couple with this magnetic information wave level. And through your sustained, focused intentions, you can make events happen in this reality. So once this is, this is known as what happens when you meditate over time. I said it earlier. Your brain starts to function in a more coherent fashion. We are all, we are all electrical beings in a physical shell. What you give out is what you get back. So if you are, say like I was before I had my spiritual emergency, I was giving off frequencies that were very stressed. They were very negative. What you give out is what you get back. So I got a shed load more of stress and negativity coming back at me. But once you link with this magnetic information wave level, this pure, coherent, divine, all-knowing energy, which we exist inside of, then that divine what shall I call it, consciousness, starts to couple with you and extends into your physical life. So when you have people who are, let's say, an enlightened master, mm-hmm. you tend, if you're in the energy field of somebody who's very, very, very enlightened and have spent a whole lifetime becoming that way and holding their coherence, you feel nothing but pure love and you want to stay in the energy field. It's absolute pure magic if you've got the right master. Um, but if you're in the company of someone who's incredibly stressed and discordant and angry, you think, gee, get me out of here. You know, mm-hmm. we each emit a unique range of frequencies as unique as your DNA is just to you. So I say again to people, once you link with these other levels of reality, then those levels of pure coherence and divinity begin to unfold around you. And therefore, the more you can hold this space, the more happier things, I think, come into your life. Because, you know, if you're in tune with who you really are and you're starting to awaken the thalamus and you're starting to really get the drift and and start to believe in your intuition, you're more likely to be in the right place at the right time. For instance, on 9-11, I had made an appointment after six months of ringing every day. I had an appointment to see Oprah Winfrey's right-hand woman. Her name is Gail King. And all I could focus on was getting on that plane the day before 9-11. I had fallen over and hurt my ankle very badly. I was on crutches. Um, The plane had actually taxied out to the runway without me because they'd left me in a wheelchair in the wrong lounge. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong with me getting on that plane went wrong. 
but I was so determined to get on that plane, I eventually did it. So in other words, I wasn't listening to the signals that were being sent to me, you know, like falling over the crutches, the airplane, the whole thing. And next right. day, next day, those airplanes flew into the Twin Towers. But if I had been more in tune with my intuition, more connected with the spirit world, more connected to um, the higher realms, then I would have listened to the signals and I would have never got on the plane in the first place. So what I'm saying to people is, if you think that your life is going really badly, first of all, you must realize that your thoughts create. We all have 40,000 thoughts every day. And your sustained, focused intentions with emotion attached to them will create your reality. So if you want to change your reality, you have to link to this magnetic information wave level, to this, this all-knowing consciousness that's everywhere that we exist inside of. You have to align with it and then set your intention, build a new grid around yourself, and what you give out is what will come back to you. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I call that the energetic grid, and I'm on this uh, this mission intuition uh, kick. I want to get a million people fluent in the language of intuition. I've been talking about that throughout uh, this whole time, and and it's just something that was channeled to me. And I think it's so true. The bottom line is you have to really be fluent in that language of intuition and understand it, so that you can get to all of these other things. And I, that's a really, really powerful, powerful but you see, story. But Bill Tiller said to me, I said to him, I said, if everybody on the planet, say if there was an asteroid heading this way, because loads of people say 2012 is a big asteroid going to hit, you know, and we're all going to die. So I think, okay, fine. And so I said <laughs> to Bill, I said, I said, if everybody on the planet really believed that they could turn that um, asteroid around or destroy it or whatever, if we all made our minds think as one, because we are all one, and I'd love to talk about that a bit later on, um, then the point is your thoughts create your physical reality, and the more you realize how powerful your mind is, the more you begin to, like Yuri Geller, you know, he, Yuri Geller sat in my kitchen, and he held my bracelet, and he made it bend all over the place. You know, mind and intentions form patterns that form matter. For anything to exist in this reality, it goes from information to energy to matter. So first of all, you have to come up with your thought is the first thing. So you really have to start watching your thoughts. And then they start to... Um, build a grid around you, and then your thoughts start to uh, um, attach to that grid, and then things come into your reality. For instance, you know how there's lots of people, such as yourself, Mari, who can, if you like, see into the future. They can see around the corner a bit. Yeah. And Gary Schwartz said to me, he said, Hazel, he said, first, when there's a big storm going on, first you see the lightning, then you see a few minutes later you hear the thunder, then we feel the vibration. The light, which is information, reaches us before the physical effect. So when you realize that mind and intention form patterns that form matter, you can, you know, for something to come into this reality, it has to first of all be observed. 
and things start to crystallize sometimes a few days before they happen like JFK's death or Princess Diana's death or whatever but other things have been set on the world grid for thousands upon thousands of years but down here at this everyday level um, we do have choices. We can choose whether to be kind to people. We can choose whether to eat chocolate all day. We can choose whether to be angry. You know, we do have choices. So sometimes just changing your attitude to situations can help dissipate, let's say, the anger around a particular situation or the hold that someone might have on you. Once you change your attitude to it, you change the energetic imprint and therefore you can change your reality. Amazing. So let me ask you something because I know this is something I go with the energy um, when I'm asking these questions. I don't have any of these things pre-written down, but one of the questions I want to ask you in keeping with what you just talked about is money. People have really, you know, with all the world economies and all the different things changing and money being energy, have you encountered any of the experiments or anything um, that gives us any insight on abundance and and the flow of how you know money flows into people's world. Well, I oh, crikey, that's such a big question. It's such an emotive question. Well, first of all, I think that money, of course, is an energy. So it's not how much of it you've got necessarily that counts. Obviously, it'd be fab to have lots of it, but it's what you do with it that counts. And I honestly believe, Maya, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's yeah. what you do with it that counts. I mean, look at what um, Bill, Bill Gates and his wife are giving most of their money to children in Africa. They're making an enormous difference, you know. And um, what's the name of the guy now that does all the markets in America? He's the biggest man. Oh, dear, I've forgotten his name. He, he like, um, advises Obama and all those sorts of people. But anyway, he, too, has given millions and millions and millions to charity. So... When people, if we come down to an everyday level, you would say, if you want money just so that you personally can be more comfortable, that's fine. But as long as you don't lose sight of the fact that we are all emanating from one source and we all return to that source. So I think that more abundance flows into your life when you start thinking, how can I help rather than what's in it for me? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, like, believe me, I have sworn and cursed and, and done all kinds of things with spirit on this one because the Divine Intervention book destroyed my career as a, you know, a journalist in the UK. So I lost, I lost my income. I, I felt like I, I did for a time, you know, pretty much lose everything. I was very lucky that my husband didn't, like, leave me because it kind of really freaked him out. But... um I would say to people, there's nothing wrong with having money, but we all come back time after time after time after time. So in this lifetime, you might have a bit less, but in another lifetime, you could have been a king or a princess or a pauper or a thief. You know, I think there is a great leveling coming. We can see it already. There's lots of countries going bust. I think our whole monetary policy needs looking at because... The gap between those who have huge amounts of money and those who have absolutely nothing, the chasm is so great. Um, yeah. And whilst I'm not saying every rich person has got to give every penny of it away, because some of those very wealthy people, A, they give a lot of money to charity, 
and B, we saw what happened, let's say, when Mugabe, for instance, in Africa, gave all the farms, the white farmers, he gave all of the black people a piece of land. That land is now desolate. You know, so sometimes some of us come as teachers, some of us come as workers, some of us come as toilet cleaners. We're all links in the chain. So I would say that abundance will come into your life when you start thinking, how can I help? When you change your attitude rather than just thinking, I'm going to steal it off somebody else or I deserve more. There's nothing wrong with saying that you deserve more. But when you get that more, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. So, like the, the contribution aspect, and you know, here's here's something that else, something else that just came up in the, in my energy zone. I want to bring this up because we have a lot of people who are listening who are actually very advanced light workers who are sort of have given their life to spirit, like yourself, like me. Where you know, this is our full time thing. I mean, aha moment thing is my is my world. I don't have another job. I don't do consulting anymore, anything like that. We have a lot of work, light workers, and I know they come to me also as clients and things. And they say, listen, I am working as hard as I can. I'm giving as much as I can. I see all these clients. I see all this. You know, I write the books. I write the articles. But I, I can't live off the money that I'm bringing in. Why is it that I'm, I'm kind of slaving for spirit? You know, I'm giving so much. And like what you said, your first book pretty much wiped out your, your traditional income. Did you feel resentful? Oh, my God, you have no idea. You have no idea how resentful I've been. I mean, a countdown to coherence took me three years. I mean, Mm -hmm. the advance that I got was spent in the first six months flying around all these places, you know, interviewing the scientists. Um, I mean, I have screamed at Spirit every now and again, you know, and said, you know, just some days, guys, can you just make it a little bit easier? But... I remember once, it was really, really funny, um, this wonderful teacher, I can't remember her name now, but she said, Hazel, it might not seem this way, but she said, it should be your absolute honor to work for spirit. And I said, yes, but honor doesn't pay the mortgage, you know. <laughs> exactly. So um, it, it, it's just that then what happened was I changed my attitude, this I, I once met the Duchess of York years ago uh, from something I was doing, and um, she said to me, Eric, do you do charity work, Hazel? And <laughs> I, I, I went home, and I felt really guilty because I don't per se do charity work because I'm here working like 60 hours a week. And when right. I got home, I thought, hang on, I'm here working 60 hours a week, and I almost never or very, very rarely get paid. So I think to myself, well, this is my charity work. So I hear what you're saying, and I know nobody ever said that this journey is an easy one. Spirit never said it's easier, but if you ask for their help, I honestly believe that as you need stuff desperately, suddenly a door will open for you. Um, so I think if, if your intention and your integrity is coming from the right space, and if you ask without ego and with humility, I honestly believe that something somewhere will turn up because like you I go and give lots of talks for free people expect you to get there and pay your own train fare you know you might sell a couple of books but like it it doesn't even cover the cup of tea or whatever (laughs) so yes I have had many days when I thought what the hell am I doing and I've had I've had real words with spirit but then something really nice happens 
Um, and then I think, well, that, that was my little bit of reward. You know, what you give out is what you come back. So I also think that sometimes you might necessarily not get monetary rewards in this lifetime, but your soul is, I would say, growing. And it's really weird because one of the people in the book, Rob Schwartz, who's a soul researcher, said that sometimes the more advanced a soul is becoming, the more coherent, if you like, um, sometimes the more challenging the lies those people choose. And I yeah. thought that was very, very interesting because you have to be quite strong to keep going on this path because there are many days when I felt very much like giving up and I sort of swear and I go and shout at the trees and then I go and have a <laughs> cup of tea. But your heart and your soul always bring you back. Yes, 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 yes. So I, I, say, I, have, I think you have to trust that at the end of the day, everything will come right. You know, ask for help. Ask for help. Yeah, I always say, how can I be a contribution today and have a really good time and make money um, beyond what I could ever dream possible? <laughs> I say that yeah, because there's, nothing, there is abso- there's absolutely nothing wrong. I got so fed up with years ago people saying to healers, oh, well, you've got this gift, so you should give me your healing for free. Try going in the supermarket and getting your food for the week for free. You know, healers have mortgages too. So if someone's a brilliant psychic, if someone's a brilliant healer or whatever, there's nothing wrong with them being paid. There's nothing wrong with anyone being paid, to be frank. But I do think that there is going to be a huge shift coming to do with monetary, um, if you like, the way we, the way money is, so unbalanced at the moment and I think there is a great leveling coming I'm just not I think it's going to I don't think it's all going to happen at once but um, I think some of the events that are happening now are quite shocking and I think they will continue to be so till we all start to help each other out a lot more oh I agree well I want to change gears now because I know that there's so much information in your books about these scientists and things and these experiments that you were you know privy to, to being exposed to and getting all kinds of information. And one of the big experiments in the book that you talk about, um, or your explorations, was about orbs. And I thought that was so fascinating. Can you talk about these, they like the, the, the balls of light you see on your pictures, right? Like Absolutely, right. Well, um, what is happening around the world is I was invited to a conference in Arizona, the world's first conference on orbs, and I thought... To me, an orb was something that, like, um, was on the Queen's scepter. You know, when she was, um, you know, at her coronation, to me, that was an orb. I I never really, you know, gave it a thought. But anyway, it it turns out that there are these plasma-like spheres of light that are appearing on cameras and on film all over the world. And this isn't just a few people. This is hundreds of thousands of ordinary people. And what has happened is, that with the introduction of digital technology, digital technology is more sensitive to the near-infrared range of the visible spectrum than the older type film cameras. And orbs show up predominantly in this spectrum. So again, um, Mari, it's really important that, um, I know many of your listeners are very advanced, but to understand that 99% of what constitutes our physical universe, we can't see it. 
doesn't mean to wow. say it's not there. So if you had, let's just pretend that our universe, our whole universe is only 2,500 miles across. Now, how much of that 2,500 miles do you think we can see with our physical eyes? Have a guess. Mm-hmm. We can we can see one inch of it. Wow. So what Seriously? I'm trying to say is I think that orbs, as all of the scientists do, they've always been there, but we just couldn't see them. But now, thanks to digital uh, technology, they are appearing, and lots of people, including myself, can also see them with their physical eyes. So anyway, I went, and there's this most wonderful man called um, Professor Klaus Heinemann. He's written some wonderful books about orbs. Anyone can Google Klaus Heinemann. And he, um, his company works on uh, the dynamics of the space shuttle. So this guy worked at NASA, and his company still does. Um, and so these aren't, you know, quacks out there that are, that are experiment, experimenting with orbs. But I've seen pictures of thoughts as orbs, and one of the scientists told me that as we die, the information within our seven chakras is uploaded into an eight chakra that generally exists just above our head. So that's why I think that on that Easter Saturday when I left my physical body, my consciousness left my physical body, I was up on the ceiling looking down on this movie, for want of a better word, below me. So I believe that I had become an orb. And quite often, um, they're like plasma beings of light. And when you look at them under a microscope, um, they look like mandalas, some of them. They look as if they've got circuit boards inside of them, whereas others have got faces inside I of them. I saw the faces. I saw them. Yeah, <gasps> and so... Me. Yeah, so some of them are like the spirit world. Some of them are your children waiting to be born. Some of them are your the people who have passed over. And so, for instance, there are thousands of pictures of, let's say, someone's getting married and the mother has passed on. And there's a picture of, say, the daughter being married. And there, right where the mother would have stood, is a beautiful orb. And... um They're also appearing under the ocean. There's a lovely lady called Joan Ocean who takes people on trips under the ocean to work with whales and dolphins. And she's got the most amazing pictures of orbs under the ocean near near whales and dolphins. But they seem to appear um, at happy gatherings. And most importantly, they emanate pure, coherent light. Now, remember, light is information. So, um, and dark orbs, which are found at um, places of hauntings, don't seem to be able to exist when light orbs come near them. And dark orbs absorb light. Whereas if you were to look at, um, say, pictures of the night that Obama was inaugurated, there are pictures on on the web with hundreds of thousands of orbs in them. And I met a lovely family, for instance, whose little uh, girl was killed. They were digging a sand pit on the beach. And um, their little girl, the sand caved in and she was killed. It was tragic. But when they started taking pictures a few months after uh, she died, in every picture where they took a picture of their little boy who survived, there was this picture that was they believed was their daughter coming to let them know that she was still around. And so... 
Klaus Heinemann has found that these orbs tend to appear more on pictures when you request them to appear and that yes. you have to be very patient and they seem to appear more at happy gatherings and he he believes that he said that there has been anecdotal evidence for thousands of years that consciousness survives physical death now we have physical proof of this and it's he said it's really really exciting science Amazing. You know, I was um, I had Michael Beckwith at one of my I did a conference in Carmel, California, a couple of years ago, and we were we had a reception, a press reception, and he said, "Mari, Mari, let's make orbs, let's make orbs." And he's like, you know, like a little elf, you know, and he's like spinning his hands, he's like playing. And the as they were taking pictures, all these orbs started to show. I mean, it was like almost like it was snowing in the room. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, but conjured these things up. They are incredible. And also, you know, there's pictures of orbs that look like little um, elves. You know, they look like nature mm-hmm. spirits. There are nature spirits. There are um, all kinds of different forms of orbs. The same as like we're human beings, for want of a better phrase. There are also thousands of different types of orbs. The same as there are lots of different types of human beings. We've got white, black, yellow, tall, short, whatever. Right. There are also right. lots of types of orbs, and they all exist on various frequencies. Because once you get outside our space-time, then you move from this physical space-time to frequencies. And so, as I'm sure you've discussed many times, when consciousness leaves this physical body, you are now existing outside our space-time reality, but you take your knowledge with you. And that's why when you get messages from the spirit world, they can see around the corner for you. They can warn you about what's coming in the future if you continue on the path that you're on today. Like spirit were trying to warn me not to get on that plane at 9-11 because they knew what was coming. It was crystallizing into our reality. Lots of people warned that JFK was going to be shot. Lots of people warned that Princess Diana was going to die. But, you know, if, if the CIA or the FBI or MI6 took notice of every phone call that they get, then they'd never get any work done. But there is absolutely no doubt that mind, your mind, can exist outside of space-time. So, therefore, mind can be anywhere at any time once you know how to travel in time via your mind. Did you, I I mean, this is fascinating, did you... um learn any processes for that pro- to be able to do that well i think that, yeah i think that people like russell targ you know they they had the stanford research institute you can go on courses to teach you how to um you know do remote viewing and to look at various times in in different times of of our physical world or other worlds by 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 using your mind, by utilizing your mind to time travel. And I knew that I was able to travel in time because I was able to see many of our future, potential futures. But I was always afraid to actually move in time because I was terrified I wouldn't come back. Um, So I wouldn't, I mean, this is going, this is fairly advanced stuff we're talking about here. But there are remote, there are remote viewing courses in any spiritual center anywhere in the world, you can get books on remote viewing. 
And for instance, at the Stanford Research Institute, people like Yuri Geller, who they tested, they would be given coordinates of a specific place on the planet, and they, in their minds, would travel to that location, and they were able to give specific and later verifiable information as to what was happening at that exact location. The Russians, for instance, now they're doing uh, telepathic experiments with their submarine people, and these um, experiments have been going on for years, and there are many people who are able very easily to um, um, to telepathically uh, glean information from people who are not at their location. But some of the people that did the remote viewing uh, managed to pick up specific information as to what was happening at that site 50 years earlier, for instance. And, wow. You know, and there are some people that can predict the future pretty, you know, accurately. But the trouble is you don't know if a prediction is going to come true until it actually does come true in this reality. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about information being set on the grid. I honestly believe that certain events really are set in stone. But many other events uh, we can change through the power of our minds. And the more people that join together, like you said, Murray, that you want a million people to sit for peace or whatever it is. They did some trials in Kosovo, and they showed that when you get 300 meditators who sit and have the only intention they have is to link to this, what I call this etheric level of existence, and to unfreeze it into this reality, peace basically breaks out in those areas. They showed that Fatalities went down by like 40%. The number of people wow. that were injured went down a huge number. So, you know, there are more than 50 papers that show that this works. They tried it in Miami. And when the 300 meditators gathered there, there was less crime. There were less um, car crashes. More people went to work the next day. Coherence is catching. So when you bring... The divine, when you unfreeze it, if you like, into this reality, it spreads. Coherence is catching. So the more people that can get on their spiritual journey, A, I believe their lives will improve for the better. I mean, for instance, I should now meditate more. And when I do things, definitely, you know, my life definitely flows better. So I would mm -hmm. say that you have to be willing to surrender to this this divine intelligence that you are part of, that is part of you, that we exist inside of. And then the divine wants nothing more than for you to have a perfect life and to be perfectly happy. And I believe that we could all be like that if we could just let go of our egos and, and put our, if you like, our hearts into service for the whole. And that's all very well to say and in reality, like I just had a row with some people yesterday, and I think, right, Hazel, you need to work on your forgiveness skills again today. Nobody said this stuff is easy, but it right. works. It works if you're willing. You have to be willing. Spirit will help you, but you have to be willing to play your part. I always say that if you take one step towards spirit, spirit will take a thousand steps back towards you, but you have to take the one step. Yeah. I, could, I absolutely could not agree more. Well, you know, I know that there's a bazillion other um, 
experiences and, and experiments you've participated in and, and learned about. I, I was kind of curious about something that I, I actually just glanced at on the back of your book, and it was um, it was in Italy, this enlightened community where they can walk between worlds. Do you – and, and that there's evidence of these realities and worlds in addition to our world, right? And so can you talk a little bit about that? Right, well, what it was, there's a, a community in a place called Damanhur in Italy. They're just outside of Turin. And I'd read about them, I think, years ago in Nexus magazine. And then I had a friend who went there. And I thought, well, you know, all this sounds too far out to be true. And I, I heard rumors that there was this community that lived in temples under a mountain. And I thought, wow, this sounds really far out. I need to go and have a look. And it turns out that these, um, there's a guy there called Falco, and he is, I would say he is totally enlightened. He is, I mean, he's just an amazing man. He really, really is. And he came in holding the knowledge. He knew who he was. He, he's an alchemist in the, in the old-fashioned sense of the word. So when he was very young, he was sent to a Catholic school. He was levitating. He could, like, fly around the room. And his classmates thought he was pretty cool because of all the tricks he could do. Um, and as he grew up, obviously his parents had to withdraw him from school because it was considered like a sin against God to be able to do all the things that he could do. But thankfully his parents were quite awakened souls, and so they started experimenting with their son. He came from a pretty wealthy family. And eventually he was guided to form a society of really caring souls. And he decided to do it in this, they called, the, the valley is called Vashuela. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he chose this valley. And what they started doing with a few helpers who were also very spiritual, by hand they dug out these temples which are really being hailed as the eighth wonder of the world. They are unbelievable. They're underground temples, acres of marble and glass, and a massive Tiffany dome in one of them, and miles and miles of tunnels and secret doors. And I mean, it's all astonishing. But what they've done is now they've got a community of over a 1,000 people that have moved from all over the world to the valley, and they um, have become totally self-sustainable. They've got their own currency. They pay taxes to the Italian government, but they also give part of their salary to the community. Um, they all give a few hours of their month completely free of charge to the community. There's doctors, lawyers, bakers, bankers, you know, people who have vineyards. They've got their own supermarkets where they use their own currency. They've got their own university, the most well-behaved kids I've ever come across. And they live in these sort of quite large houses where there are five or six families that live in a home. And they all work for the good of the community. And from the UN, they've won many awards for their sustainable homes, for their green homes, if you like. And basically, the whole community, they do their own thing, but they come together a lot to work for the good of the whole community. And so Falco and many people there told me that time is a space you can navigate. And I firmly believe that quite a few of the people there have traveled through time. And they have an amazing university there that gives courses in time travel, um, courses in spiritual physics, um, 
healing, all kinds of things. Um, these are very intelligent people, but they're all incredibly kind. And I, the thing that stuck out the most, apart from these incredible temples, um, because you can make an appointment and people can go down and be shown around the temples. They're well worth seeing. But I remember I was in a restaurant um, in one of their supermarkets, and in England or America it's normal when you've had a nice meal to leave a tip. Right. Um, this waiter said, I wouldn't dream of taking a tip. He said, it's my honor to serve you today. And I thought, wow, wow. I must, you know, try this in London. So it's a different <laughs> way. It's a different way of living. So many places and, and politicians from around the world are now starting to visit Damanhur. It's known as Damanhur. And some people think it's a cult, but I would say they're absolutely not a cult. Um because they're living for the good of the whole. And so lots of politicians go there to see how to create sustainable communities. And I think that's the way the way they live there, I think, will be the way that we will live in the future. That's amazing. So Damanhar is spelled D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R. D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R. D A M A N H U R. You have to fly to Turin, and Damanhur is about an hour from Turin Airport. So there are lots of hotels around there. So if you want to go visit the temples, you can log on to the Damanhur website. There's fabulous books about Damanhur. There's some. They've just done a huge book on showing all the temples, um, and they've got. They there's one temple that they say shows the night sky as it would have appeared in Atlantis 20,000 years ago. They, these people say that they felt drawn to Dam and her and that they feel that they'd lived a previous life together in Atlantis. And they're trying to recreate what they had in Atlantis, but they are trying not to destroy it the way it was destroyed all those centuries ago. Um, you know, that they work without ego. And they just have a very, very lovely way of living and a very lovely life. I'm not saying it's perfect. It wouldn't do for me, actually. You know, I'm a bit too of a, a sort of shopaholic type girl. But, um, you know, I'm not into digging organic cabbages out, you know. But, you know, but they feel drawn there. And they were very kind to me and they're lovely people. And I've actually been there now three or four times. And they have technology in the temple there, like healing machines and... Um, they have some pretty far out stuff there that I felt was very, very interesting to see, but I definitely didn't think they were a cult. And one other person, if you don't mind, because I'm really being naughty here and breaking into you, um, no, is, no, there's I'm a thrilled. wonderful guy, there's a wonderful guy called Dr. David Hawkins, who um, wrote the most amazing book called Power Versus Force. And. It's an amazing book, and Dr. Hawkins was um, a psychologist, and he came across the art of kinesiology. Do you know what kinesiology is when you do the muscle testing? Yes, yes. Right, well, he, he, he and many scientists really began to realize that they couldn't explain kinesiology, but when it was done by somebody who really was very good at, at this art, um, they found that a part of you always is coherent and Bill Tiller had told me that even though it can take years to to come to a state of total brain functioning which is what um, enlightenment is um, 
they've nevertheless found, Bill and his team at Stanford have found, that your acupuncture meridian energy systems are already in a coherent state all the time. Um, and, and so you need to, and once you link into this, um, then you can um, open up the, the coherence in your body. You can accelerate the amount of coherence within your, the rest of your system. But anyway, so that's why David Hawkins started using kinesiology. And they and their team began by calibrating, let's say someone like Jesus, they calibrated at a 1,000. And then they started calibrating archangels at 50,000. And they found that when they, for instance, tested somebody whether they were allergic to sugar or bananas or whatever it was, the body always knows, if you're listening to it, what it needs in any moment in time. And he mm -hmm. said the current calibration of humanity on this planet is 205. So if Jesus was a thousand, and if he says that most people who never even start on a spiritual journey, might, if they're lucky, grow five points in any one lifetime. If we're currently only at 205, that makes you realize how many lifetimes we've got to go before we can gain total enlightenment. But he also said that once you decide to place your ego into service for the whole, he said your calibration can shoot up. Um, and it was absolutely marvelous because they said a single avatar that calibrates at a thousand can counterbalance the negativity produced by the whole of mankind. Wow. So you see, you know, it's really important for people to realize how important it is for us all to grow in coherence and for us, I mean, basically, Countdown to Coherence is all about going home to who you really are. And yeah, once yeah. you know who you really are, which is part of God, and all parts make the whole, and once you realize that you exist inside the mind of God, and that there are many, many, almost infinite number of realities that exist on other frequencies alongside our own, the only thing that separates this world and everything in it from the other worlds is frequencies. So the more sensitive you become, the more you will have access to these other realities, these other worlds, these other realms of existence. Because for a time, I was able to see quite a few of them. So in the Bible, for instance, where it says God's house has many mansions, what that really means is God's reality has many frequencies, many realities, which are as real to the people and beings that exist on them as ours is to us. Amazing. It's, this is bringing so much clarity for even a lot of the channeling that I do. I mean, I channel to do these telesummits. I didn't come up with this in my mental mind. I was actually told, it's, Mari, will you do this for us? I said, what contribution can I be? Can you, okay. And, you know, and I get all this information. And this is really giving a lot of validation to the lot, for, you know, doing the Akashic readings and all the things that I've been doing. This is giving a tremendous amount of validation and clarity of where all this is coming from. So thank you. Thank you so much for Not all of this. Oh, this but, is amazing. Um, what I'd love to come back to, have we got time to speak a little bit oh, more? Absolutely. We've got oh, plenty of time. Let's I, so very important that um, I'll never forget once I was uh, interviewing Deepak Chopra when I was with the Sunday Times and 
Demi Moore, the actress, bless her, who's just um, had her poor marriage breakup, um, she said uh, Deepak Chopra had told her that we're all one. And I'll never forget this journalist I was with saying, that girl is so off the wall. But, of course, once I interviewed lots of people like Bill Tiller, Fred Travis, Gary Schwartz, and many, many, many others, we've only even started to touch on the scientists I've met. But I remember them saying to me, that you need to keep in mind, Hazel, that what people call the Big Bang that happened like 14 billion years ago, our universe, when it was birthed, was less than the size of one atom. So there would have been a second in time when you could have held our universe in the palm of your hand. A million atoms fit behind one human hair. So this universe, our space-time reality. Time was birthed in that moment of what people called the Big Bang. But A, it wasn't a bang because there's no noise in space. And yes, there was a huge release of energy, but it was a very small occurrence. And then over the millennia, when atoms were eventually formed, and then millennia and millennia later, atoms became molecules, became cells, and we eventually evolved, the point is that every single atom that is around you now, that's in you, that was in Jesus, that's in the pyramids, came from the beginning of time. And atoms carry memory. So if you were to hold, say, the watch of someone, say if you held the watch of someone who wanted you to tell them all about themselves, you are exchanging energy and information that are in the atoms of the watch. So that's how you're able to tell that person so much. So when you go to the pyramids and touch that stone, those atoms have been in those pyramids. In buildings, atoms are far more stable. We're not so stable because we breathe in and out oxygen all the time. So we're exchanging energy and information with our environment all the time. But when people go to ancient monuments and they touch them, What they're doing is tuning into the energy and information within the atoms, within those objects. So when thousands of years ago in Atlantis or wherever it was, when these very enlightened beings that I believe are here and have been here many times uh, before, they have left information in objects. So once you become more coherent, once you become more sensitive, you can retrieve the information. So now if you take that one stage further and think that every atom within your body now, you, Marie, has been here since the beginning of time, and the atoms are a feedback, they're known as a feedback system, so they carry memory. Everything that you ever need to know or will ever need to know is already inside every atom of your body. So when people have a heart transplant or a liver transplant or a kidney transplant, what they are doing is receiving a collection of atoms, uh, like a you know that, that carry a specific frequency. They're carrying an energy field that's full of information. So when you have someone that has a heart transplant, they start picking up facts about the donor. They are exchanging energy and information within the atoms of that organ. So when Demi Moore said, 
We are all one. We are absolutely all one, but most of us don't know it. At this down-to-earth physical level, yes, the physics makes us separate. I'm you, you're Maria, my Auntie Nellie is my Auntie Nellie. But a much higher level, we are indeed all from one source, and we return to that source. And so once you realize that as you die, you take your knowledge with you, you take your field of information with you, but eventually you merge with the source. And then, you know, we're recycled energy and information. So you come back and all of that information is still inside of you. And so once people, you know, if people just realize, my God, what they've got inside of themselves, they would be completely blown away. But most of us go about our lives worrying about money and worrying about, you know, what we're going to wear tomorrow or, you know, whether little Johnny's going to pass his exams. We are all mini gods and we're all from yeah. one god, but we just don't know how special we all are. It's so amazing that you're saying this. I started off my psychic career doing psychometry, holding people's joy. I just, I just stumbled upon it. I held somebody's ring one day, and I was able to tell her everything. I was, <laughs> and, um, you know, and I go into, um, it, it's just fascinating. And, and actually, for those of you who do do readings and all that kind of thing, Hazel just said it perfectly. You know, it, it's a great tool to ask someone for an earring or, you know, I, watches were a little difficult, um, but earrings, bracelets, necklaces, something that's on that person's body, even their car keys. It's amazing how you can get what's going on in their world from those objects. This is just this is such validation. I'm I'm sitting here like, oh yeah, oh my goodness, oh this makes sense. You know, oh my <laughs> gosh. It's just, it's just like a vat of information. Like I could I just I could talk to you for like a year. Um, oh, you're so I, sweet. I need to go and talk thing is you know that really thrills me in a sense that um I've kind of been uh, doing other stuff. I've been working on uh, stem cells in Israel because um, I have this real major back problem. So I've been flying backwards and forwards from Israel and I've, my brother's donated his bone marrow for me. So I've been very much back at a physical level. But it's been a real treat in a sense doing this today because when I read my book, you know, you kind of forget what you went through. You kind of forget what you've yes. written. You forget yes. the information. So it's really good for people to constantly keep reminding themselves of this stuff because it's so easy to then get bogged down in yeah. our everyday reality and keep, like, I, I now as I speak to you, I think, right, Hazel, I must get back to doing more meditating. I must get back to my Tai Chi because all of these things help to increase or unfreeze this this wonderful consciousness all around you and and it just really does help me get you know get out in nature a lot more um connect to to, to nature but knowing that um on a, a physics level you you are connecting with this magnetic information wage level and when you couple with it and when you learn to have sustained focused intentions and believe with your whole heart and mind that you deserve what you're asking for, it will come. You must have emotion with it. Emotion produces something called deltrons. And in science, deltrons act like the toner, um, like in a photocopying machine. They help bring things into this reality. So the more you can really feel with your emotions what you want and what you desire and, and sustain it, then it reaches a plateau, it attaches to your grid in geometric patterns, 
and then it can come into your reality. But if you don't think you deserve something, and if you don't put enough emotion into it, and if you don't connect and couple with this other level of existence, then you can wish till the cows come home. Nothing's going to happen. Now, this is huge. What you just said is huge. It's like this is like there's a lot, been ridiculous amount of nuggets in this, this conversation. That one was just huge. So I just want to go back to it because people are going to be asking. And that is these, um, the difference between being emotionally aligned so that these deltrons attach and create the geometric forms that bring it into reality, so they're like the turbo boosters of manifestation, and being attached so that you're holding on to the outcome. No, you, you, you mustn't really hold on to the outcome, you know, because there seems to be a blocking process. Um, I, I believe that what you have to do is do what we said earlier. You have to... First of all, couple with this other level of intention, uh, sorry, this other level of reality. And I personally love meditating, so you tune into the space between your thoughts. But it doesn't matter whether you do drumming or qigong or, or whatever, tai chi, whatever it is, or walking in nature, have the intention to couple with other levels of reality. So okay. then you, start, you put your in attention on an intention to bring it into being. Like I knew once I'd, once I'd, I, once I'd decided, if you like, to, to write Countdown to Coherence, I had no idea how I was going to find all these scientists. I had no idea how the journey would unfold. But the minute mm -hmm. I, I said to Spirit, okay, guys, I said, I surrender. I'm just going to leave it to you. Um, I'll do my part, like I kept getting on the planes and going seeing the people. But if you could read some of the synchronicities that came into my life, um, you know, like I'm, I'm saying it takes two halves. It's us down here, so we're spirit in a physical bio bodysuit, living an experience, okay? So you have to first of all have the intention to couple with these other levels of reality. You then have to be willing to play your part. If you want to win the lottery, you have to go and buy a ticket. You know, it's not going to fall out the sky. So, but you have to be realistic. So you have to be willing to play your part. And if you are doing something for the right reasons and it seems to serve a higher purpose, then it can and will happen. And there are always multiple realities here. Nothing is black and white. People say to me, okay, well, I don't want my four-year-old child to die of cancer. Um, and I am coupling and I'm wishing and I'm praying and I'm putting so much emotion into this and yet my child is going to die and many children do die. And I can't answer that question except to say that at a soul level, Maybe that soul chose that. There are multiple realities here. The parents might not want their child to die, but maybe the soul of that child does. But a whole host of reasons. I can't answer every question. But we also live in a physical world, and shit happens. And so, <laughs> you know, sometimes genetically you might be born with a predisposition to a specific disease. You might have been um, exposed to nuclear radiation you might have uh, had a lifetime eating the wrong foods you know there are many reasons why people move on or die or why certain things happen to them and I can't answer every question but I do 
know that if everybody just begins on their spiritual journey in whatever way they can, you don't have to give all your possessions away, otherwise you become part of the you know problem rather than part of the solution. You just have to do what you can when you can. Any day, even if it's only making someone smile, even if it's like I was in the supermarket the other day and this dear old lady just didn't have the last $10 to pay for her food. And I said, for God's sake, you know, take it. And she was absolutely amazed. And like that kind of made her day. Whereas for me, it was just $10, you know. So I think that it's the simplest thing. What you give out is what you, you get back and what goes around comes around. So the more you can put yourself into service for the whole, the more the whole will serve you. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, I I just want to say thank you because this has been the amount of information you have provided in this period of time is just. And it's only about a twentieth. We could keep going. I know. Oh my God! There's so much more. Maybe but we'll anyway. do a masterclass. Maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a master course together or something. We'll come up with something that we can do together that folks can get more more of you because I think the world is. I mean, I guess the world kind of already knows about you because you you've been around for a while. But I just I'm just like I'm ready to just shoot you to the high heavens. Like, hey, everybody, listen to me. It's amazing. Um, how can people get a hold of you, your books, your uh, you have a website? Sure, it's um, it's www. Uh, Hazel Courtney, which is C O U R T E N E Y dot com. So it's Hazel Courtney dot com. But may I just say to your listeners that I'm about to, um, at the end of April, undergo major spinal surgery. <laughs> Nobody yeah. ever said it's easy. Um, no. And I will not be answering emails for six weeks after that. I just can't. So. Um, I'll do my best between now and then, but I'm really, really busy. I get hundreds of emails a week. Um, And um, I I think that at the moment, if people send me thousands of questions, I'm just not going to be able to cope. But um, all the information that I've given today is in those three books. And I know I hate people that just do nothing but sell their stuff. I think it's so, you know, but... um, it, it, it's true that the information is already out there, you know, but if they want to email me any time after the end of June, then I'd be happy to, um, you know, get as many um, answers back as I can. And I've just remembered the name of the guy. Who's the guy that runs Berkshire Hathaway? You know, uh, the, big, the big investor we were talking about earlier, the guy who's given millions and millions and millions away, Berkshire Hathaway, he's... Oh my God! Why can't do you know? The minute I hang up, I'm going to think about this. <laughs> it's really That's funny. Good. My brain is now so tuned to spirit that I just can't think of grounded stuff. But anyway, it's just that he's a very <laughs> lovely, modest man. But anyway, um, but there we are. So I think that um, if people believe that the world will end in 2012, and enough people think that, then that will attach to the grid, and that could potentially become our reality. But if enough People think that we could make this heaven on earth, and that's what the message. I remember at the height of my experience when I literally, every thought I had was creating my reality instantaneously. It was unbelievable. I ran around the house saying, everything is perfect, everything is perfect, everything is perfect. And as soon as I did that, everything became much easier, and it was far easier to cope. 
So if you can, even though maybe you have lots of things going in your life that are a bit negative, try and change your attitude, put your ego into service for the whole, believe in yourself, and surrender to the universe and do your part. Yeah, that's just beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. But I just want to say um, thank you. Thank you for all of your contributions. Thank you for taking all of the time and for your willingness to be so open and um, giving in this call because this is a tremendous, tremendous amount of information. And, uh, you know, in keeping with our, our telesummit theme, I think everybody's getting so many more tools for that personal transformation. I mean, if you haven't gotten something out of this one, you guys, I don't know what it's going to take. But get the book, and um, and I just want to say to everybody, you truly know um, that you can have exactly what you want, and you absolutely deserve it too. So until Monday on our next call, because we have Sunday off, because we're on a Saturday, so we have Sunday off. We will see you on Monday. This, um, this actually, this uh, recording will be available for 72 hours. So, uh, if you have friends and uh, family and people who want to hear, they have access to it for 72 hours after um, after the call. So, you truly can have exactly what you want. You absolutely deserve it too. We'll see you in a couple of days, everybody. Have a great night. You've been listening to the AHA Moments Radio Show with your host, Mari. Be sure to visit her blog and website at www.ahamomentsinc.com. That's A-H-A, moments with an S, inc.com. Also join Mari on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ahamomentsinc and Twitter at twitter.com slash ahamoments. We can't wait to see you there.